If you're able, stand with me in honor of the word of God, as I read Hebrews 11, 1-7. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists, and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark, for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. The word of God for the people of God. Before I preach on that text, I'm going to have Adrian Olvera come. He's going to the missions that we support. He grew up here. We know him, love him, love his family, and he has been working for many years up at the UNM campus, and he's going to give us an update on uh, some of the work that's going on down there. Thank you for your time. <clears throat> and Mariah. And I to bring Mariah up because her kids are in his church. Three for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, this is my wife, Mariah. My name is Adrian. We're both uh, born and raised locals from uh, here in Mendoza. Um, and we have a campus ministry to the University of New Mexico up in Albuquerque. Um, and just a brief, uh, my brief testimony for many of you have heard it before, but some of you probably haven't. Um, growing up here in Mendoza, uh, I, I went to church pretty much every Sunday, but my heart was very far from God. During college is when this really got out of hand, and I basically went from going, I believe in God, I just can not follow him and kind of do what I want to him. Just, I, I don't even believe in God anymore. Within nine months of being in college, the first few semesters we went from there to there. Um, and my life just fell apart. I, I, uh, I got a DWI here in Rodoso. Um, that was kind of my rock bottom during my sophomore year of college, and I woke up that next morning and I just went, I don't know which direction to go, but if there is a God, I need to hear from God. Um, and so I prayed, and God is real, show yourself to me. And I began seeking all these different areas of philosophy and religion to see what truth was. Um, it was shortly after that that I went to Albuquerque with a friend of mine um, who had just given his life to Jesus, and I became a true believer. He also was raised here in Rodoso and wasn't following the Lord. And uh, he made a decision to come to Jesus the Lord and repent and have faith. His life was so changed that it impacted me to where that Sunday when I went to church with him in Albuquerque at the church we're with, I gave my whole life to Jesus. And it completely just turned me around. Um, and within the years after that, I, I went, oh God, how did your Lord in my life? And you changed me. I'm so thankful. All my sin and addiction and all these things. What is it that you want me to do? Uh, and so it was at that point that the Lord put on my heart that He wanted me to be a minister at the University of New Mexico to college students to help them uh, get the exact time I needed help in my relationship with God and to give back and, and see these students come to know the Lord. And I knew there were many people on my campus just like me who just they knew who Jesus was. They had raised in church. Not maybe a little bit, but knew he died for sin. Had no idea what it meant to follow him. And uh, as that, I just called on 
that freedom zoning and, and, and you guys want to do that same thing with people there at UFA. Uh, so my wife and I have been doing this now for about 14 years. Uh, and we just had an awesome, amazing uh, year. Thank you guys so much for supporting our ministry. Uh, we preached the gospel to about 1,300 students just in that year. Uh, it was incredible. Um, so that's what we do is we go out on campus and we stop students and have a conversation with them. Uh, we like doing that because then we get to have like a more personal interaction with people. We get to ask them what they really believe about God. What it means to go to heaven. The most common thing we get is people say, just be a good person, uh, just be moral. And if you really introduce that Jesus had to die for our sins because we all have our sins. And people's eyes are open. And uh, from there, when we meet students, we're trying to provide some simple Bible studies, have a one on one Bible study with them. And we had so many Bible studies meet this semester, new students who came with us. Um, and, and through those Bible studies, we can soak the word and the testimony. Um, students realize that I, I really am not following Jesus. I'm just living in my sin. And I'm backsliding. And when they repent, give their life to Jesus, they're transformed. Um, so this semester alone, I just saw 26 students give their life to Jesus.
bunch of kids from you and a graduate. They're running around there too. Um, so I pray with us in that way and have a hope for that. I'm going to run right there to the testimony if you have some questions. But uh, just thank you for coming. We really appreciate you sharing with us. Um, yeah, the thing that Josh is always on the heart to kind of share is to give you guys more of an idea of uh, our church is kind of growing up a little bit, like you mentioned, Andrew and I, um, about 10 years of college students, and we have a lot of friends along that same time period who got saved in around that time, and we were like, okay, I'm a mother, we are like, what's the name? Oh, sorry, that's my name. Um, and I was just thinking about how God has really um, uh, helped to build up that uh, part of what a church is really supposed to look like, and um, you know, that there's um, real relationships, there's real um, Real life together, you know, real investment within each other. And um, we've been fortunate enough to have um, pastors and people who have really shown that into us and helped us to walk that out. But now we have a lot of uh, young families in our church, which has been awesome. And I've had the um, opportunity to start homeschooling with my kids, and um, that's been awesome and fun, honestly. It's been, um, I was super worried about it before. It's um, been amazing that I can be the one to continue studying with my kids, you know, and I can continue instilling the values that God taught me into them, and not only just learning learning things, because I want them to know about the world around them, but how Christ created his humanity, you know, how he's at the center and the heart of the things that we're doing. And it's been awesome because we're not the only ones, you know, we have a lot of people um, in our family, we have mothers who are invested in each other and we come together in that way um, to help support each other. Because there are times it's, it's difficult, right? <laughs> I know I didn't always do that. <laughs> what my parents hoped I would when I was younger. Um, but it's great that we get to kind of be a part of guiding them in this way and seeing these people who were college students with us that were in the new stage of life now. And um, the other part that's been exciting is um, one of the people who just went on our staff, uh, her name is uh, Abby. She was our pastor's daughter. And I knew her from when she was really little. <laughs> and um, I got to see her grow up and she um, graduated and she started her own campus just this last semester. And um, she just took off in her faith with um, believing for God of what God could do through her. And her heart just for people and wanting to see um, people know Jesus just like she does, and I think she's a really great snapshot of just, um, you know, what God put that vision in all of our hearts and what we hope, you know, the, the youth in our church, <laughs> and as they grow up, that they're going to keep it with them, and they're going to take off with it, and want to continue sowing it, you know, and so um, that's been awesome to see, and, you know, it made me just really think about how thankful I am of all the people that have come into my life. Um, who, you know, even though I kind of lost some of those seeds for a little while, you know, God used other people to water them at one point in my life and um, softened my heart and changed my heart to really receive um, uh, the value of all those things that I was taught when I was younger. And so that's a big part of what God put in our heart too in our church, and we're kind of moving into a new stage of that. Um, and it's exciting, you know, it's been awesome to see. Uh, I just wanted to share just one testimony from this semester because it's very awesome and kind of exemplifies what God's doing there on the campus. Um, I met this one student named Gio on campus, probably even the second day we were out there. The first week of campus, we go out and we just uh, we start basically ministering to everyone we see with the students and our staff. And uh, we, I think I first week we saw 200 students just on the sidewalk. Um, well, there's one guy, Gio, I met, he goes, I want you to read me my roommate. We need to do Bible study together. I'm like, yeah, that sounds great. Let's do it. So we started meeting up, and his roommate's name was Ruben. I actually met him the next day, also randomly on campus, and he told me his name. I go, your roommate's Gio. He goes, yeah. He goes, I need to study the Bible. He goes, you just don't even know what I believe. And so we started studying the Bible a little bit here and there, and he, he started getting kind of Easter bells and going, yeah, I can see that. I can see that. But he just he didn't have faith. 
So one day I'm going to give some Bible studies. I'm not going to hold any Bible studies before this. It's bad at this job in the And so I want to, this is the opportunity for the Lord to use to show them this guy's a real person. God loves you. Let's pray for this guy. And he's a cousin who's a Christian, his cousin, and he has a very good friend, and he's got a friend. This is not one Bible study, but we pray for him. He goes, sure. There's no guy in the sinner's house who shows up and helps us out. That weekend, I think, was the first time he came to church. He shows up and says, wow, this is my guy that came out of town. He goes, he goes, God, God moves. And he goes, I see it in you know. Um, he goes, well, he's still on a respirator drive. Like, okay, let's pray again. Sure enough, by the end of the about the next body, but he's three days later, his dad is they bring him from. And then within a week he's out. And the nurses are telling his dad, like, people don't just wash out of this stuff like we used to. And it was super thankful. He goes, God moved in my life, his family. He goes, I'm in. And after that, I go, well, you gotta you gotta surrender your life to Jesus, man. Like it's time, you know? And he goes, I'm not sure yet. Close out the Advent season on faith, the Christ candle, and our faith in Jesus Christ. And so today I titled this sermon from Hebrews 11, 1 through 7, Faith and Its Reward. Right out of Hebrews 11, 6, which the word of the Lord said, And without faith it is impossible to please them. Whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Faith and its reward. That's what we're looking at today. We'll look at this by describing what is biblical faith, what is the object of biblical faith, and what does biblical faith reward you with? So first, what is biblical faith? 
This opening verse says, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So this conviction of things not seen, this conviction is a faith that is firmly, a firmly held belief. This conviction, the people have a conviction. This is a firmly held belief that I have. And yet it is in something unseen. This is biblical faith. It definitely has to do with something that is unseen. Jesus, when he rose from the dead, you remember one of the disciples wasn't there when he appeared to him? <coughs> Which disciple was that? Thomas, you know, most people give him a hard time doubting Thomas. He wasn't there. He said, I'm not going to believe until I see him. But you might remember that when Jesus did encounter Thomas, in John 20 and 29, Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? And then Jesus says this, Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. That's what faith is. You might remember when Jesus was resurrected and he was on the road to Emmaus with his two disciples. Followers of Jesus, they have their heads down, sorrowful. Jesus has this conversation with them. And verse 25 of Luke chapter 24, Jesus says to them, Oh, foolish ones. Everybody does it eventually. <laughs> and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. It's interesting. It's telling them they're slow of heart to believe. But you believe in something. All that the prophets. faith in Jesus. It's faith in something that is unseen. And yet we have this idea of, well, it's just blind faith. You just got to believe it's blind faith. Yet Jesus is telling them <clears throat> it is unseen. Blessed are those who have believed and have not seen. Yet he's telling them here slow heart to believe in something that could be understood. He's saying there were reasons here that I expect you to have believed. So it's unseen, and yet in some mysterious way, something we should have seen all along. That's what Jesus tells you. You're slow of heart to believe. should have believed this all along. Then he goes on, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interprets to them in all the scriptures, all the things concerning himself. And as you know, their eyes were open. Jesus expected them to believe and have a faith based on God's word. This is emphasized in the evening this morning. I wept with tears. There was nobody. I sowed almost nothing. Seeds that were falling on nobody because there was nobody. I wept in tears for a couple of years. And God responded to my tears with joy because they were psalms trusting in God. And something that wasn't seen is not seen. So there's this faith that we walk in. Jesus expected these Emmaus Road disciples to believe in the word and the prophecies that were in the prophets. And they were not believing them. They were slow of heart to believe. He did not expect them to just believe blindly. He didn't say, why didn't you just believe blindly for no reason? He actually gives them reasons why they should have believed. And Jesus expected faith.
His word was to believe in the testimony of the scriptures from Moses through all the prophets. He explained to them himself, this is what our church is about. It's about the gospel and seeing Jesus and his death and resurrection in every aspect of scripture. This is at the core of what Grace Harvest believes and trusts in. It is our vision. It is our vision again for the new year to raise up people who will put their trust in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and make that the central focus of their life and let it transform them for them to dive deeper and deeper into those truths that lie between the cross and of the resurrected Lord that is seated at the right hand of God the Father. Let that be drilled down into your heart to the levels you never could imagine that it would go to. This is Jesus' expectation that they would have had this trust in the word and in the promises so even though faith is the conviction of things unseen that doesn't mean our faith is blind God has spoken God has revealed in his word and he expects you to trust in his promises our faith is not blind but it has reasons for what we believe in our faith is not blind but our faith is biblical faith it is a faith in God's word it has reasons for why it believes it comes to the conviction the sure belief that this is what we believe, and here are the reasons why. It is not blind. So, also it said faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Another word used there is substance. This is a real profound word the Greek only used here and throughout and nowhere else in the Bible, and they're like figuring out trying to how to translate this. So they use different words, but one of them is substance also, the assurance, substance. Okay, faith is the substance. So, our faith is not only not blind, but it is not empty. It's not full of shadows. It actually has a substance to it. Our Christian faith has assurances. It has substance. Faith has spiritually laid hold of something. It's unseen, but it is actually laid hold of something some mysterious level of spiritual uh, principle that you've laid hold of person and you've perceived it you haven't seen it, it's unseen but yet you've perceived it you've tasted it you haven't seen it you can taste it, you can taste and see that the word is good, it's unseen but you can perceive it in some mysterious way, there's substance to it it's unseen, but there's substance. Weird. It, something unseen has substance. And that's, that's faith. That's digging into it. I perceive something, even though I don't see it. Our faith may not be sight with physical eyes, but it is with revelation from within, a perceiving by the Holy Spirit. This is substance with Holy Spirit, but it is the Holy Spirit is substance. Our faith has substance to it. You may not see it. Good image of Jesus uses with Nicodemus is the wind. The wind you cannot see, but you can see the evidence of the wind. I believe in the wind. I believe even a small breeze when I'm sitting there and I can't see it completely unseen, but I see those aspen leaves. Can't see it. But there's some kind of substance to it, a power substance that has moved those leaves. And I actually believe in that. I believe that wind just moved through there, even though I can't see it. Faith is like this. You cannot see it, but you believe. John 14, 7 says this, the Spirit. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. The world is disbelieving. It doesn't believe and it can't see. But you can see 
or you know him. This knowing is in an intimate way. It's coming to know, again, what David was talking about, becoming a true believer, like knowing on an experiential level. Not because I know about God and I know about Jesus, but I've experienced him and his transforming power in my life has made me a new creation in Christ. Old things have passed away. The old all things have become new. I've experienced him as a knowing. Here's what 1 Peter 1.8 says, the word of the Lord from Peter. It says, though you have not seen him, you love him. Wow, you love somebody you've never seen. What Peter's saying, though you have not seen him, Peter had seen him. Thank you. 
place, but they wouldn't necessarily fall off the table because they would have been able to somehow conceive, somehow science, and somehow prove. Um, and so they wouldn't. But the scripture would show, yes, people have faith. Even in all kinds of religions, they have faith. What is the object of the faith? What is the object of uh, um, the Islam faith? Uh, their, their faith is in Muhammad. The Buddhists have their faith in the teachings of Buddha. They, they center their life around the teachings of Buddha. Hindus uh, put their faith in the pantheon of gods that they believe in. What about a, a scientist? You know, uh, the leading scientists a lot of times in the world will say they don't have faith. I would say and argue that they have their faith also in something. Uh, when Teresa and I were growing up and looking and delving into science and, and uh, working our faith out along with science. One of the big scientists we at that time was Carl Sagan. He had written these billions and billions. He wrote these thoughts on life and death uh, back at the end of the millennium. And uh, he said this, I would love to believe when I die that I'll live again. And some thinking, feeling, remembering part of, of, of me will continue. Uh, but as much as I want to believe that, and despite the ancient and worldwide cultural traditions that assert the last afterlife, I know of nothing to suggest that it is nothing more than wishful thinking. Far better, it seems to me, now here's a statement of nature from a scientist. This is a statement of belief of faith. And he's saying that's what some people believe. They put their faith in, okay? Not being really what he's saying here is this is what I believe. Far better, it seems to me, in our vulnerability is to look death in the eye and to be grateful for every day that this brief but magnificent opportunity that life provides. That kind of sounds kind of beautiful. You know, scientific kind of way. That is a statement of faith. It is Carl Sagan. What he's putting his trust in, he's saying, I believe when I die, that is the end. I believe there is no afterlife. That our life is contained in the brief days that we have now, so you better enjoy them. He's saying, I believe, therefore, we should live our life now and every day to the fullest. So atheists have this faith. Atheists have this faith that is similar to the Greeks and their faith that they had. They might not know it, but it's a very ancient faith. It's a faith, like 1 Corinthians 15, 32 says, Paul talking to the Corinthians, they were Greek, steeped in Greek philosophy. Paul says, if the dead are not raised, no afterlife. Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. And you know what Paul's doing there? He's quoting somebody in Greek philosophy that all of them would have known. Yeah, let's just follow that Greek philosophy. Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Let's live it to the best that we can now. The Greek philosopher was Epicurus. Uh, he promoted the philosophy of living life to the fullest extent. He said that in his philosophy and the, that the path to true happiness lay in the pursuit of pleasures. That in this life, you should live it to the fullest and pursue pleasure in this life. In fact, our English idiom that we take from all of this is eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we may die. That's very much steeped in American culture, in English and that is described. Curious goes way back. Carl Sagan and, and, and atheists and scientists have their faith rooted in something. They do have a faith, but it's not biblical faith. Carl Sagan went on to say in his reflections of a moat of dust, very beautifully written. <laughs> I don't know if I was reading it. Uh, delivered on May 11, 1996. He says, Our planet is a speck in the great in our obscurity, in all this vastness, which would be a statement of faith, there is no hint that help will come from elsewhere to save us from ourselves. It is up to us. So salvation, that's been around forever. Save yourselves, it's up to us to save ourselves. There is no savior but ourselves is a statement of faith, making a very profound statement of faith. And one that has existed from the earliest of times. It's called self-salvation. Salvation that is made by our own efforts, by our own work, works-based salvation. All comes from this type of faith, faith in self, faith.
own works. And yet the object of faith, from biblical faith, comes from Hebrews in its beginning leading up to this place, which is Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 and 7 that we read. Hebrews 1, 1 began what the object of our faith is. And it says long ago, Hebrews 1, 1, that's how the book began, the letter. At many times and in many ways, God spoke. The first thing you got to say is that God has spoke. Spoken. He has spoke. God spoke. It says, to our fathers by the prophets. Remember what Jesus said? Slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have written. Saying this, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us in his son. What Hebrews is going to be about is how God has spoken to us in Jesus, his son. Hard not to read what he said there because Jesus, uh, he appointed to be heir of all things, to whom he created the world. He's the radiance of the glory of God. I know prophets were like this. I mean, Jesus is unique, and that's what Hebrews is all about. He's the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. I mean, there's no one that compares to this in any way. It's the supremacy of God's Son. God speaking to his son like he had never spoken before throughout all the prophets. This is the fulfillment of all the prophets and all the promises of God through the prophets and throughout all of his words in his last days. He's spoken to us through Jesus. And after many purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. That means it is finished. <laughs> the gospel in Jesus is that the object of our faith, the object of our faith, is Jesus. He's the conviction. He's the substance. He is the one we put our faith in. Hebrews goes on to tell the supremacy of God's Son, that Jesus is higher than all the angels. Says two chapters, Hebrews 1 and 2 on that. Jesus is greater than Moses. Hebrews 3, a, a better rest and a better promised land than Joshua could ever deliver. Hebrews 4, and a better high priest than that of Aaron, getting into Hebrews 5, 6, a better high priest, a priest who would give us a better Jesus. Hebrews 7, 22, the guarantor of a better covenant. Hebrews 3, he's the fulfillment of the promises, promises that we better promises, better covenant, because they're in his blood. What do you mean, his blood? Jesus, Jesus brought up. It's going to go on to say in Hebrews 4, it leads up to this, uh, what faith is in the object where they can say it's in Jesus. Here's what Hebrews says in Jesus. It goes on to say in Hebrews 7, 25, in interceding for us day after day in heaven. And just say you go, you're not. He's interceding for you day after day in heaven. Come on, you! Is your name there? I'm interceding for you in heaven. Hebrews 7.25. He's literally now this better covenant has written God's law in our minds. He's written them on the tablets of our heart. He's put them within us now. Does that sound like a better covenant? Oh yeah, it is. Not on tablets of stone. He's written them on the flesh in, inside of you. He's put his laws in our minds and written them on our hearts. Hebrews 8.10, he's remembered our sins no more. He's still in Hebrews 8. He's given himself once and for all as a sacrifice, a final sacrifice for our sins. Hebrews 9.14, he's perfecting us. I've meditated on this for a while. I don't know why this one out of all those negative and pondering on this. Perfecting us for all time by a single all those objects that they made, all the lambs, all the blood, all the bulls, the goats, all the yearly sacrifices, they one time. One offering has perfected us for all time. Not another can do that. Not another gift. Not another sacrifice. I can't add any sacrifice to it. No work of mine can add to that. Nothing. I agree with that. Simply to the cross. Simply to that single offering that has perfected us among believers for all time by the single offering. He's given us a clean conscience by his own blood. Everyone a clean conscience? Want that? 
Jesus delivered us from. He has made us a clean conscience by his own blood. Hebrews 9, 14, Hebrews 10, 22. Promising never to my lonely people, sometimes wandering people, sometimes people all around you and still feeling lonely. Promising never to leave us nor forsake us. Hebrews 13, we can be activated by that. Receiving a kingdom that's unshakable here's our text. By faith, that faith is, Jesus is this substance. Did you feel some substance to your faith there? Because Jesus is that substance. It is, verse 2 says, by it, by this kind of faith, the people of old received their commendation. We're looking at now the final point, the reward that we have in Jesus, our commendation. Abel received a commendation. Verse 4 says, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. This reward, this commendation. What was the commendation for Abel? His righteousness. Abel's faith was rewarded as God declared Abel righteous. What about Enoch? He was commended as having pleased God. Enoch's commendation was he had pleased God. Enoch's faith was rewarded with his declaration that God declared him righteous. Nonsense. Hebrews 11, 7, by faith, Noah. What was Noah? Says he became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. The reward was the righteousness God gave them as a free gift of his grace, his very own righteousness. And a verse that really sums this this up, maybe you haven't memorized 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's the reward. He made a purification for sins. Hebrews 1 3, he sat down to right hand of God. He has given you his righteousness that you attain by faith in him. A trust, a conviction, a substance, not a blind faith, not an empty faithful conviction of solid things and substance that is in the Son of God himself. All of these other blessings that come along with it. To never be alone. To know that I will never be forsaken. To know that I will dwell in his righteousness because of the righteousness of Christ within me, not because of my own works, like we get left around, but because of the work of Christ on the cross. That's solid. That's stable. That's unchanging. That's his love for me. It's because of what Jesus did on the cross. And my faith in Jesus is that because of the power of the resurrection. So even though we might walk, like this prayer said this, this coming year might be tough, even though I might be walking through the valley of the shadow of death, some of us did this last year. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. So you are never alone. You're never forsaken. The promise of his righteousness, that reward of righteousness that's in Christ means we're never forsaken, we're never alone. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. He's near me. He is with me. He's protecting me. He's correcting me. He's disciplining me. Even Hebrews said that he disciplines the, the son he loves. Here's a child who disciplines you. Even that is his comforting presence. It may not feel like it at the time, but that discipline will produce the fruit. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup 
speech of following me all the days of my life. His goodness is running out. Saying that, his goodness and mercy is following me all the days of my life. And I will never leave until he cries. He's given me this reward of his very own righteousness. And I have this relationship with God now because he's paid the price for purification of my sins and set down his right hand with God. And I have this access to God now through the righteousness of Christ that is unfeeling, overflowing, and overflowing, filling upon my head, filling up the cup until it flows over. Do we see it by faith? Do we sense his blessing by faith? Is there substance to his word? Do you believe his word? Do you believe that his goodness and mercy is following you? Every day until that final day. We shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Forever and ever. Let's just bow our heads. We thank you for giving us the gift of faith. And as we come before your table to remember the death of your son Jesus Christ, to remember his body given for us and his blood shed for us. Pray you would stir us up. Let us stir one another up to love and good deeds and forsaking the assembling of ourselves to have the same way, encouraging one another. All the more we see that day drawing near. We see that day drawing near through the perception of the Holy Spirit, through physical eyes, spiritual eyes. And we come to celebrate, to remember gift of your son Jesus Christ and for his body and blood that was given for us for the purification of our sins. He alone is the object of our faith. He alone is our reward. Amen. Do you have communion? Cups. Worship team can come. Going to come and get one of these cups. There's two cups here. And if you're visiting with us, when you put your trust in Jesus Christ, you've repented of your sins, you've turned to Him as your only hope in life and death. Jesus' broken body and shed blood is your salvation. You're welcome to come and join with us in partaking of. Lord's table. Please come, partake of a cup, and return to your seat, and we'll partake together in the body. Please come.
Jesus in Help us take these elements by faith. Believing we can receive and the conviction of the life of the substance through Jesus Christ. As we speak of the body and this bread life cracker represents Jesus. His body and his blood for us. Stir us. Do it profound ways, God, that are trusting you. Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread, he gave thanks for the bottle for it, he broke it, gave it to his disciples, and he said, this is my body given for you, take, eat of it, and do this in remembrance of me, let us remember Christ's broken body. Praise you and thank you, Jesus, for offering up your body and your death. He laid in that tomb, dead, and he resurrected. We are indestructible. We are in the life body of the mother by you. We are heirs with him. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. That same resurrection. like manner he took the cup and said, Lord, this is the cup of the new covenant given in my blood for the remission of sins. Take and drink of it. When you do, do this in remembrance of me. You remember my death until I come. Let us partake of the cup together. As you bother for the gift of your son, Jesus is shedding his blood. Thank you that we partake of the body of Christ, the blood of Christ. You make us one body in him. Join us. Make us one. Let's bless one another as the body of Christ. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let us worship.
It gives you the right to have joy, inexpressible and full of glory. It gives you the right to enjoy his presence and know him even now, that he will never leave you nor forsake you. Whatever comes this new year, he will never leave you nor forsake you. Even in your Walk in that blessing, walk in that light. Be light to the stars of the world. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Love one another.